One of my lecturers in Bible college used to always tell us that academically, the best way to learn something is to go from the whole to the parts to the whole. Uh, to see the big picture and then zoom in and look at the details and then having done that, step back again uh, to see the big picture uh, once again. And that's why actually we encourage everyone to do Bible overview, uh, see a big picture of the whole Bible uh, before looking at the, the little parts uh, in church every week. Uh, as we talked about earlier, we've been working through Galatians bit by bit, uh, week by week since the beginning of the year, and it's like that we've just walked through the jungle trail, you know, bit by bit and seen all the different sites as we walked along. Uh, but in this final sermon of the series, I'd like us to, to get into the helicopter and go up and look down on the whole trail. Right? We survey the jungle as a whole, uh, trace where we've been, uh, so that we can see the whole message of Galatians uh, and seek to obey what God is saying to us uh, in this book. In chapter 1, we saw that this letter was written by the Apostle Paul. I uh, remember that the word apostle means sent one. Uh, Paul was sent, uh, not just by another man, but by Jesus himself. Uh, he writes uh, to the Galatians, therefore, with the authority that Jesus gave him. And he goes straight into this letter without his customary you know, thanksgiving for the recipients and all that, because he's really upset. He says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. They are turning, they are deserting God. When they're turning to a different gospel, they are deserting God Himself. In fact, he says in verse 8, If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. That is, let him be eternally condemned. Let him go to hell. It is that serious. Because the gospel, the good news that Paul preached, that was a true gospel. He received that gospel personally from Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 12, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 2, when he goes to Jerusalem... The apostles in Jerusalem stand with him. In chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, he writes about how he visited Jerusalem. He spoke to the apostles, and they agreed with what he was preaching. They said, you go to the Gentiles, we'll go to the Jews. But same gospel. And then in verse 11 onwards, well, Peter came to Antioch, which is in Gentile territory. And he was going well at first, but then he wavered under pressure, and Paul had to rebuke him. Because, you see, Peter knew that the Gentiles were saved by faith in Christ, just like the Jews. He agreed they didn't have to keep the Jewish laws. In fact, he didn't even follow the Jewish laws at times. And he was happy to sit with them and eat with them as brothers and sisters in Christ, something that the Jews previously would never do. But once some people from the circumcision party in Jerusalem came up, he kind of drew back and kept away from them. But this was sending the wrong signal. You see, those people from Jerusalem were saying, faith in Christ is not enough to be saved. Now, we had the summary of that false teaching in, in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, where they say, unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, you Gentiles, very good, you want to become Christian, but first be circumcised. First obey the law of Moses. First be a Jew. Yet added something to trust in Christ in order to be saved. You've got to keep the law. Or you're not really one of us. And you know, when Paul withdraws, or when Peter withdraws from table fellowship with the Gentiles, he gives the impression that he supports these people as well. 
But the problem is, as a Jew, Peter knows that the Jews can't keep the law. Paul knows the Jews can't keep the law. They have to put their trust in Jesus to save them. In fact, in the second half of verse 16, Paul says, uh, speaking as a Jew, he says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law will no one be justified. Justified is being declared righteous. It's, like, it's, it's uh, the, the judgment at the end of the age, God saying you are not guilty. Not just not guilty, it's better than that, it's good. Right? And you're not going to get that by obeying the law. The Jews know that. The Jewish Christians know that. And so, you have to have it another way. And that way is by faith in Christ. If we are united with Christ by faith, the Spirit joins us with Christ, then spiritually we are together. We are one. You can say with Paul in verse 20, we were crucified with Christ because if we are one, then everything that happens to Christ, he says to happen to us. Our sins are counted to him. His righteousness is shared with us. Everything is shared because we're spiritually united. And so when, when Jesus died on the cross, it was our sins he paid for. He loved us and gave himself for us. He took the penalty for our sins so that our sins can be gone. And what is left is his righteousness that he shares with us. And so it's perfectly right for God to declare us righteous, justified, because we are in Christ. If we're not in Christ, then, oh yeah, sinful. Put us in Christ, and we are justified. And since it's faith that unites us to Christ, we can say that we are justified by faith. Uh, if we were justified by the law, verse 21, then Christ died for nothing. We could have done it ourselves. But we can't be justified by the law. That's why we need Christ. The problem is these Gentile Christians, having been justified by faith, were influenced to go backwards and start observing the Jewish law. And Paul was exasperated with them. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians! It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That's what I preached to you. Jesus' death. You received the Spirit in verse 2, not when you obeyed the law, but when you trusted in Jesus. In fact, you were like Abraham. Remember Abraham? Abraham in the Old Testament. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He heard God's promises, he trusted God's word, and God counted him as righteous. It was about believing. When you heard the gospel, you put your faith in Christ, you were blessed along with Abraham. You were considered righteous. You were justified. On the other hand, when the law came, it wasn't about believing, it was about doing. It came with a curse for everyone who didn't do it properly. So if you rely on the law and you fail to keep it, you face that curse. Chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse... For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You see, the Jews that were under this law, they, they couldn't keep it. And so they were cursed. But Jesus died to take that curse for the Jewish believers. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus was cursed for them to release them from the law. And now they are released from the law, they come to God by faith, that same blessing, well, that can go to the Gentiles as well. Because those promises are not just for the Jews, 
they were to Abraham and his offspring. And the specific offspring for which these promises are fulfilled is in the end, verse 16, Christ. And these promises, verse 17, were not annulled by the law which came later, which was indeed specific to the Israelites. And so the promises that are for Christ apply to everyone who is in Christ. Even the Gentiles who were previously under sin, even if they weren't under the law of Moses, they can come to God by Christ just like the Jews. So why did the Jews have the law? Well, Paul says it was like a guardian. A guardian is someone to, to watch over a kid until he's grown up and doesn't need them anymore. And that's, that's what happened to the Jews. But now he says when the right time came for them to be released from the law, God rescued them from it. At chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. Jewish Christians were released from the law and instead given the Spirit. So they're no longer slaves, but sons. And it wasn't just the Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians also received the same Spirit. Verse 6, because you are sons, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, the Gentiles, just like the Jews, had also been in slavery. Verse 8 says they were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. Elementary principles, Paul will call them. Like the Jews, we Gentiles also had to be rescued. And we were rescued from, 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 from these religious, spiritual, whatever powers they were. Just like the Jews were rescued from being under the law. And we too have been given the Spirit. We have been given adoption as sons. Uh, and so we are no longer slaves, but sons. And you remember he uses sons for both men and women here because in Christ there is no Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. We relate to God on the same basis. We are all heirs. Some that, that the sons were only heirs in that society. We've been given God's Spirit. We are God's children. The problem is, having been justified by faith, having been given the Spirit, having been made sons of God, these Gentile Christians were already picking up things from the law. They had already begun in verse 10 to adopt special days and months and seasons and years the, the way the Jews did. And now they're about to be circumcised as well, to become full-blown Jewish converts and coming back under the law. And Paul wants them to stop this. Stop this nonsense. This is not progress. This is going from being free to being in bondage. You're supposed to go from being slaves to being free. Now you go from free to being slaves. And to illustrate that, to make that stark and bold, he, he takes up a picture from the Old Testament. Because both Jews and Christians look back to Abraham as their father. And Paul says those who are under the law are like the children of Hagar, the slave of Abraham. They belong to Judaism, the Jerusalem below that is in slavery to the law. Those who are in Christ are like the sons of Abraham by the free woman. We are like Isaac because we're the children of promise. We come supernaturally. We belong to the Jerusalem that is above. We are God's people supernaturally created by the death and resurrection of His Son. And just like Ishmael, the natural child of Abraham by the slave woman, persecuted Isaac, the child of promise, so the Jews were also persecuting the believers. So what should they do? Well, verse 30 of chapter 4, what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. 
For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. The circumcision party that was preaching law must not be allowed to wield its influence in the church of God. Get rid of this false teaching. And so Paul says in chapter 5 verse 1, he tells the Galatians, For freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to being slaves. If you accept circumcision, verse 2, Christ is of no advantage to you. You're not trusting in Christ to justify you. You're trying to justify by the law. If you accept circumcision, then you know what? You've got to obey the whole law. You're putting yourself under the law again. You're obliged to keep the whole thing in verse 3. If you take up circumcision, you're not doing. That's not right. You're not trusting, you're doing in order to be saved. And you'll fall away from grace because you're no longer relying on God's kindness. You're relying on the good things that you think you do. And you know you cannot do enough. You'll never do enough and you'll never be saved. And this is tragic, isn't it? You've been doing so well, verse 7. You've been doing so well. But now your very salvation is in jeopardy. The influence of the circumcision party is not from God, verse 8. But it's affecting your whole church. So listen to me. Listen to me, Paul says. Contrary to what people say, I do not preach circumcision. I wish those people who want you to cut off your foreskin would go the whole way and cut off their whole thing. Please, Galatians, he says, you are free. You are free from being under the elemental principles. You are free from having to do to get right with God. You are free from the law of Moses. You are free from having to try, 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 try and do what is right and fail, fail, fail and come under God's condemnation. You are free. Don't go back to slavery. But, he says in verse 13, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Your freedom is not so that you can sin, but so that you can love. And in fact, if you love your neighbor, verse 14, as yourself, actually you fulfill what the law was really on about. That was the principle of which the law of Moses was an application of Israel of old. And that's what the Spirit leads you to do today. In fact, what enables you to love is not the threat of punishment from the law, but the transforming work of the Spirit. The Spirit shows us God's love in the gospel, causes us to love Him in return. The Spirit shows us that we are God's sons. It causes us to cry to Him, Abba, Father, and to long to please our Heavenly Father. And so in verse 16, if we walk by the Spirit, if we live the way the Spirit leads us to, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh is the natural self. It's, the, it's our natural self. And in our case, because we're sinful, our natural self is sinful, so it's our natural sinful self. And left to ourselves, our natural self, what does it produce? Verse 19, it produces sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. And people who live this way, they are not people of the Spirit. They are not sons of God. The, the Spirit hasn't been changing their life and they will not inherit the kingdom. But those who trust in Jesus have been given the Spirit. And verse 22 shows the kind of fruit the Spirit will produce. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
When we believed in Jesus, we crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We said no to our natural selves. We said yes to Jesus as our Savior and Lord. That's when the Spirit gave us new life. And since we live by the Spirit, we have new life by the Spirit, we ought to walk by the Spirit. We should follow the Spirit's lead and we'll produce this fruit that the Spirit makes. And one of the main places where this fruit of the Spirit is seen is in our relationships with each other. And so Paul takes some examples of what this looks like in our community. One of the fleshly behaviors that Paul singles out in 5 verse 26 is being conceited, provoking each other, envying each other. We obviously shouldn't be like that. On the other hand, he also shows us how to love each other. In chapter 6 verse 1, we are to gently restore those who are caught in sin. We shouldn't ignore the sin, but neither should we be self-righteous and judgmental. We are there to help the sinner, while at the same time watching ourselves, knowing our own propensity to fall. We are to support each other and help each other, to to bear one another's burdens in verse 2. All kinds of ways people in our community are struggling, and we're meant to be there to help each other. And that kind of care is what Jesus did for us, isn't it? And what Jesus commands us to do for each other. And when we show that, we are following and obeying Him. We are fulfilling the law of Christ. We should invest financially in the things of the Spirit. Supporting those who teach us God's Word in verse 6. And and doing good to everyone in verse 10. Especially those of the household of faith. In other words, we are to be generous. Those are different ways the fruit of the Spirit can be seen in the community. And then Paul finishes the letter by taking over from the scribe and writing in his own handwriting. He denounces those who are trying to get the Galatians to be circumcised by exposing their motivations. They're trying to avoid persecution, he says. They're trying to avoid persecution by keeping Christianity as a part of Judaism, which is acceptable, therefore, to the Romans. And they wanted the Galatians also... The other reason is they wanted the Galatians to be circumcised in order to boast in their flesh. They they want to claim them as trophies. But Paul says in chapter 6 verse 14, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's what he glories in. That's what he speaks of. That's his trophy. That's his song. That's his message. That's his boast. The cross of the Lord Jesus For in the end, it's not circumcision or uncircumcision that really counts. It's it's the new creation. And you can't get that by surgical circumcision. The new creation comes through the cross. And it's applied in our lives by the Spirit. The true Israel, the Israel of God, are not the ones who are circumcised, but the ones who believe this. For Paul, it's not just academic. He bore in his body the marks of Jesus. He, the scars of persecution. He was willing to suffer for the gospel, the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus, the true gospel that the Galatians were in danger of losing. And so in this letter, he calls upon them to stick to this gospel and not to change to anything else. So what do we learn from this letter? Well, all kinds of things, but I've put down five there. First of all, we learn the gospel is important, isn't it? It is vitally important. A false gospel takes you to hell and brings others with you. But the true gospel of Jesus, His death for our sins, His rising again, God's offer of eternal life by faith in Him, that is God's means of salvation. That is a gospel worth fighting for. It's a gospel worth suffering for. The gospel is vitally important. 
Secondly, we learn we must not distort the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. If you add something else as a requirement for salvation, it is no longer by grace through faith. In this case, these people were adding circumcision in order to be saved. But you can add whatever you want to add. Gospel plus, whatever the extra plus is, is not the gospel. If you add some part of the law, you have to obey the whole law and you'll be lost. The only way to be saved is by hearing God's word in the gospel and trusting in the Lord Jesus who died for you and rose again. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. Never distort the gospel, but trust in Jesus. Thirdly, we learn that we are no longer under the law of Moses. It doesn't apply to us as law. Um, to make this bit clear, let me give you an illustration. All right, we live in Malaysia where our Muslim friends are under Sharia law to some extent. And non-Muslims are not under that law. Sharia has got no jurisdiction over us. Can't do anything. And likewise, as Christians, we are not under the law of Moses either. It has got no jurisdiction over us. That's part of the old covenant. We are under the new covenant, the law of Christ. It doesn't mean the law of Moses is not part of Scripture. It is, and as Scripture, we read it in light of Christ. The Spirit teaches us how it's fulfilled in Christ. He takes us from the law to Jesus. He shows us our need for Him. He shows us our salvation that we have in Him that is foreshadowed by the law. And having brought us to Christ, the Spirit uses these Old Testament words to teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us in righteousness. He uses it to teach us how to love God and love our neighbor and fulfill the law of Christ. But we are not under that law. I'd make it a bit more concrete, think about the sacrificial system. If we were under the law, we'd need to offer animal sacrifices, wouldn't we? Because that's what the law tells us to do. Uh, but the Spirit shows us in the New Testament that these sacrifices are fulfilled in the sacrifice of Christ. And so he uses these sacrifices to point us to Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Are we under the law? No, we're not. Is the law still God's word? Yes, it is. But it's fulfilled in Christ. We, see, we read it in light of him. It's part of the scripture, but we're not under the law as law. We are under Christ. Fourthly, we have learned that it is the Spirit, not the law, that truly leads us to holiness. The way we avoid sin is to walk by the Spirit who leads us. Let, us, let the Spirit keep, keep leading us to the cross. Let the Spirit keep making Jesus big in our horizons. Let the Spirit keep speaking to us in the Word. Let the Spirit keep assuring us that we are God's children, children of our Heavenly Father. Let the Spirit keep motivating us to obey Him. The fruit of the Spirit grows on people in whom the Spirit is working. It grows on the people who have repudiated the flesh. It grows as we say yes to Him and no to our flesh day by day as we wait for the new creation. It's a struggle at times. Oh, yes, it is. But the Spirit is at work. We need to keep listening to Him and keep growing. It grows as we seek to love one another in the Christian community. If you're led by the Spirit, you're being led to holiness and love. That is where the Spirit is leading you. And finally, we're reminded to beware of false motivations in ministry. The underlying motivation for the circumcision party was not really theological. They were willing to change the gospel and come under Judaism to escape persecution. And they were also building their own reputations, wanting to boast of the numbers they've converted to Judaism and circumcision. And brothers and sisters, we must be careful. No, we don't end up doing the same. We must do the right thing for the right reasons. We need to be willing to face hardship and persecution for the sake of the gospel. We need to make sure our boast, our only boast, is in the cross of Christ. Not only on Palm Sunday and Good Friday, but, but every day of the year. 
We need to make sure that what we glory in, what we brag about, what we take our ultimate delight in, is not ourselves or any of our achievements. It's not our career or our children. It's not even our church or any of our ministries. What do we sing? I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Far be it from me, Paul says, to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus. May this be true of all of us. We're going to take a few moments to reflect uh, on what we've read uh, and what has been preached um, and uh, 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 what we've learned, um, not only from the sermons but from our Bible study groups, uh, from uh, our own reading, etc., uh, of Galatians over these last few months. So let's take, I'll just give you a few moments. There's a bit of space at the end of the, at the, end of the outline to, to jot a couple of things down. Uh, and uh, just give you a few moments to, to reflect and maybe you want to write something. Um, then we're going to sing a song, and after we've sung that song, I'll open it for people, anyone who would like to, just to come. Don't take a long time, just say a few words uh, of something that you've learned or been reminded of uh, through this Galatians series, that you can encourage uh, your brothers and sisters here. Um, and if you think you might want to say it, come, come, come forward uh, and do that. Uh, and then I'll invite us all to, to, be, uh, to be praying as well. few moments of silent reflection for now.